0: Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters A bi-weekly podcast featuring in-depth conversations with and about the creators of lyrics and music that stand the test of time I'm Scott B. Bomar And I'm Paul Duncan
1: Songcraft is part of the American Songwriter Podcast Network, which can be found at americansongwriter.com To make sure you don't miss an episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts
0: If you want to help support Songcraft while accessing bonus content and rewards, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash songcraftshow.
1: You can also keep up with us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for one word, Songcraft Show, or visit us at songcraftshow.com, where you can check out our episode archive and sign up for
0: our email list. You're listening to Call My Name, a number one single for the band Third Day that was written by the group's lead singer and our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Mac Powell. Third Day has sold more than 12 million albums, earned four Grammy Awards, and scored nearly 20 number one singles. Powell, an inductee into the Georgia Music Hall of Fame, will join us in a few moments to talk about his songwriting career that has spawned the hits Cry Out to Jesus, Your Love, O Lord, I Need a Miracle, Soul on Fire, and many others. Part 1 well, Paul, before we jump into this episode today, um, on our last episode, we did a little listener mail, right. and uh, it's always great to hear from people. So uh, we got uh, another one a couple of days ago I thought I'd share with you that you haven't seen yet. Um, this is from a guy named Brian Matlock, and he says, uh, I just wanted to thank you for your podcast. Both of you are incredible interviewers. I can't tell you how much I enjoy the show. With respect, Brian. Wow. So, Yeah. I don't know if, if maybe my mom or your mom is is just sending us these and, <laughs> under different names. Right. But uh, um, <laughs> we have been getting a lot of very uh, nice mail recently. So thank you to the listeners for letting us know that you are listening to the show and that you uh, appreciate what we're doing and um, even think that we're good interviewers. That's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it especially means a lot during a time uh, where we're still lot of isolation. And, and now we feel like you guys are really our friends, you know? <laughs>
0: We're That's not, we're not great. seeing
1: our friends that often these days. So you guys are beginning to fill in the gap for us, even socially.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. We, uh, we, we can't have any human contact, so <laughs> we get at least email contact. Right. Exactly. Um, so, uh, I wanted to bring up something, Paul, that, um, I, I noticed the other day. It, we're kind of getting into awards season. Right. 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 Um, the awards haven't started yet, but the preparation for the awards has started. Um, you're, you're a Grammy voter right I am yep okay so we're we're both Grammy voters um that process has begun I think everything all the windows have closed now for things to be submitted for consideration um but the the final you know uh nominees will be announced uh I guess in, in the weeks or months ahead and then that that's coming up in in January um I'm also uh, a Cma voter Mm -hmm. which is the country music association and the voting is still ongoing right now. And the way it works is they do three rounds. One round is just sort of wide open. Like you nominate, you know, whatever you want. Then the next round is every category is narrowed down to 20 and you pick, uh, from that 20. And then the final round of voting is everything's narrowed down to five and you pick, you know, from the five. So, The thing that struck me as people who care about songwriting and and sort of follow, you know, what's happening in the world of songwriting. And I don't know if this has ever happened before, but I noticed that of the 20 songs that were in the second round uh, for CMA Song of the Year. Right. There were 20. uh, There is not a single song that has less than three writers. Wow. There's not anybody out there just writing songs? You know, by themselves, any anymore at all? <laughs> well, if they are, they're uh, uh, at least not in the uh, twenty that are considered uh, in the running oh. for the best songs. So, I mean, I don't I know guess... what I'm
1: saying. I'm not doing it. I mean, I'm I haven't written a song by myself in a good long time. So,
0: right, right. So it uh, it I guess it takes a village. The, the thing that's interesting <laughs> to me about this is that you know co writing has been a very common thing in Nashville for years. You know, right. you you would very often see. Nashville hits with two writers that wasn't uncommon at all for for many years um but to think that not one single song out of 20 nominees for song of the year um has a solo writer or just two writers I'm not saying that that's necessarily good or bad it's just a a shift and and I found it um surprising well you know
1: it's uh we're in an era now where songs are getting started and then sort of handed to another person to, to work on the next section and, you know, put it all together piecemeal. Um, you can add up a lot of writers that way. Uh, That's right.
0: Yeah. Cause then it's like, man, this song's great, but you know, who's like a great second line of the bridge guy. (laughs) 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 We gotta, we gotta bring him in. Hey, uh, Um, Paul does punctuation. Uh, this course needs a comma. (laughs) (laughs) we we wrote that song with an exclamation point but it was too strong and he came in and just ended it with a period and uh, that was what it needed yep and i don't know if i don't i don't know if you're allowed to to say you know what the songs are at this stage of the voting i don't want to violate any rules and you know get kicked out of the cma or anything but i will say um that some uh some past Songcraft guests uh are certainly represented in the, in those 20 songs. Um, I think about, uh, Shane McAnally, for instance, mm. no surprise to see Shane. Who's, right. uh, no stranger to the, the CMA song of the year category. Um, Brett James, who was a recent guest is on there. Uh, Natalie Hemby, who has been on our show, is on there twice. Wow. Um, so that's pretty cool. So anyway, cool to see some of our uh, our old Songcraft friends uh, in the running for CMA Song of the Year. Um, but enough about the CMA, because I want to talk about the Dove Awards. Um, the nominees for the Dove Awards were just announced recently, And um, there was an album um, by a group called Apollo LTD, which is nominated for Best Rock Contemporary Album of the Year. And I believe, uh, Mr. Paul Duncan, you've got uh, several songs on that record, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yep. It's been my great pleasure to work with that band. Uh, Some of my favorite guys out there. Um, And yeah, fun to see them get the recognition they deserve.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, congratulations to you for uh, being a part of that Dove Award-nominated uh, project, and, um, you know, speaking of Dove Awards, uh, we've got a guest on this episode of Songcraft who is certainly no stranger to the Dove Awards. Uh,
1: that's true. Uh, I think they were actually going to just rename it the Third Day Dove Awards at one point. <laughs> just put their name on the, on the program. Um, no, Mac Powell's got uh, a room full of them and some Grammys yeah. to go with it, so... Um, a great guy, a great interview. Um, it's so super down to earth. He doesn't sound like a guy who's dripping in awards. Um, but he is. <laughs> right. Um, and I think it's going to be a fun listen.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, w- you and I have talked about this before and I don't remember if we've talked about it on the show, but, um, a- and for those who, who maybe aren't familiar, uh, with the Dove Awards, where have you been? Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, the Dove Awards are essentially the Christian music industry's version of the Grammy Awards or uh, or what the, you know, Country Music Association Awards are in the, in the country genre or what the, you know, Americana Awards are for that genre. Every genre has its own sort of right. version of its highest honor. Um, and the Dove Awards, um, and, and just thinking about that, and even thinking about having Mac Powell on this episode, um, is a reminder that... Christian music may be the only genre of music in American culture that is very much a commercial music, but also is folk music in a way. And what I mean by that is people might know the third day songs that we're going to be talking about on this episode from the radio, right? They are just as likely to know those songs, um, from church if they attend worship services and Uh, I think that's fascinating because I don't know of any other type of music that is largely disseminated, um, in person by hearing someone sing it live. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of a rare thing. So my question to you is, do you think that Christian music is kind of the last true folk music in America?
1: Well, it's interesting. I think the whole idea of having it sort of passed down orally kind of, you know, fits that distinction. I have always thought, though, that karaoke is its own form of folk music. Um, So, you know, uh, no comparison between the two, except for the fact that these songs are passed around in these group settings. And if you look at something like Living on a Prayer, I've decided Living on a Prayer is now an American folk song. I Hmm. think that Don't Stop Believing has become an American folk song. Um, because I, there are people that just know it because they see the lyrics up on that screen, at, you know, at their favorite bar at happy hour or whatever. So, I think those are folk songs too. Sweet Caroline is a folk song. See,
0: I was gonna, I was gonna say, but I don't know if that's true because people already know those songs. But you might be onto something that now we have reached a generational point where there could well be plenty of people who actually have learned those songs yeah. for the first time from hearing them in karaoke. Plays. I or I guarantee you there's kids that know Sweet Caroline from
1: ball games. And and that is just a crowd of people singing. So that's yeah. yeah I guess sports
0: too. It reminds me of uh A friend of mine, you said, you know, not to draw a comparison between church music and karaoke, but I have a friend who was not uh, particularly a church-going person, and she uh, attended a a church one time and was telling me about it. And, uh, you know, a lot of contemporary churches have screens, right? Mm -hmm. Like, And when the music is happening, the lyrics are projected up on the screen so that people can sing along. Now, you know, in your more traditional churches... You got a hymn book but in most contemporary churches these days you're going to see a screen up there with the lyrics so i was talking to this friend of mine and she said oh i actually went and visited a church on sunday and i said oh uh how was it she goes it was good i really liked the jesus karaoke part (laughs) (laughs) wow so so it might actually there there may be more of a connection than we thought
1: Quite possibly. Uh, maybe that's how we'll bill it from now on.
0: <laughs> it's got a snap to it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Part two. Mac Powell is best known as the lead singer of the contemporary Christian band Third Day, which sold more than 12 million albums in the U.S., earned two dozen Gospel Music Association Dove Awards, and won four of the 11 Grammy Awards for which they were nominated. Powell was a writer on most of Third Day's singles, nearly 20 of which hit number one on Billboard's Christian charts. These include Nothing At All, which was also a top 40 hit on the rock charts, Alien, Sky Falls Down, 40 Days, and the gold-certified single Cry Out to Jesus, all of which won Dove Awards for Rock Song of the Year, as well as the church standard Your Love, O Lord, Sing a Song, Mountain of God, Revelation, Born Again. I Need a Miracle, the gold-certified Soul on Fire, and Call My Name, which was subsequently covered by Keith Urban. In addition to his work with Third Day, Powell has released four albums, either solo or with his group Mac Powell and The Family Reunion. He is an inductee into the Georgia Music Hall of Fame alongside fellow Songcraft guests including Mac Davis, Bill Anderson, William Bell, and Emily Saliers of Indigo Girls. Mac, welcome to SongCraft.
1: Hey, thanks so much for having me. Well, it's kind of rare that I get to talk to someone here that's a friend and someone that I've actually had a chance to work with recently. You know, most listeners will associate you with your band projects, Third Day and Mac Powell and the Family Reunion, but you've been working on a solo project this year. As someone who has been in bands for pretty much your whole adult
2: life, how different is it now to be working on something solo? That's a great question. Um, You know, there's one of the great things about being in a band is depending on the size of the band, the number of members for us, for a long time, it was uh, four members and then five members and then back to four members. Uh, But, you know, regardless from that four to five members in a band, the, the best thing about it is that you've got four other guys there with you, you know, helping to carry the load. You've got guys who can, can help, in so many different ways and pour into, you know, helping you develop songs and helping you uh, in, in so many different ways. So that's the best thing about being in a band. The worst mm. thing about being in a band is you've got four other guys there the whole time, <laughs> you know, so it's, the, so it's the good and the bad is, is the same, it's both. And Fair. so, um, you know, there are times when I miss that band feel Uh, but also I love the freedom of going, you know what, I'm the ultimate boss of my own music and my own songs, good or bad. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there are so many times in the past where I can remember we spent literally an hour arguing over in a band, you know, in Third Day, arguing whether we were gonna go to the A minor or the C, you know, (laughs) somewhere in the song. And it's, you laugh, but it's true. I mean, we've done that because Uh, but, but it's like, now I don't, you know, I just get to fight with myself about that for 45 minutes right. instead of an hour. So there's, uh, you know, there's great things about, I, I, that's a long answer to say there's great things about being a band, great things about being a solo artist. I'm, I don't really know the answer to your question yet. Cause I'm still kind of yeah. trying to, to trot through that. But, uh, but I do, you know, there's always other people involved unless you're, you know, uh, Charlie Puth or somebody like that who can just do everything by, or McCartney, you know, can do everything by yourself. There's always other people involved anyway. So I don't feel like it's that major of a difference. I just have a little bit more say, I think, in what's going on than than what I normally would have. Good or bad, I guess.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Um... Well, let's take it back to the early days. You were born in Clanton, Alabama,
2: which... Uh, I, I was actually born in Montgomery, which is 30 or 40 minutes away, which Okay, a big town. It's the capital of Alabama is Montgomery. Okay. That's the place where they, they actually had hospital. But I was <laughs> raised in Clanton, which is the little town north of there, yeah.
0: Right, right. So... Clanton is a a small town. Um, yes, and apparently the 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 peach industry is is kind of big there. But I'd like to know what is it that we should know about Clanton in terms of what that environment meant for you in your formation as uh, a person and
2: as a, a musician and yeah. songwriter. Well, Clanton is really, and, and it's been a little while since I've been back there. I moved over to the to Marietta, Georgia. Right out, it's a suburb of Atlanta. Uh, when I was a sophomore in high school, which was many, many years ago, but Clanton was just that typical small town. You know, if you if you see this like a Southern Gothic movie or you know read a novel, that's that's kind of what you've got in Clanton. When I lived there, and i say I was raised in Clanton. But I was I was raised twenty minutes outside of Clanton. Clanton was the big town of seven thousand people, well. and I lived on a dirt road, you know, in the middle of nowhere like Clanton didn't even have a McDonald's like Russia had a McDonald's before Clanton, (laughs) Alabama did. And I just remember, you know, just growing up going, there's, there wasn't a movie theater. There wasn't, there was a skating rink, there was a Dairy Queen and a pizza hut. And that was like, you know, that was big time. Right. And you had to go, you know, far away. You had to go at least 30 minutes to, to see any other kind of civilization. Um, now, that being said, there were grocery stores and you know little mom and pop stores and stuff like that, and there's a little town square and but um but it's yeah you're right, it's not a big town at all, and I think that really did play into just me as a person and me as a songwriter in regards to growing up in the south uh not having very much you know being kind of poor to to lower middle class um and just really always wanting – dreaming. I think when you grow up in a town like that, you, you're you a dreamer sometimes. Yeah. Uh, you want more. You want to try to you, – you see what's happening on TV and in, and in movies, and you go, man, there's there's more to this. Now, I say that, but at the same time, when it was time for me to leave, it was a very uh, – a time in life as a – I was a freshman in high school, about to be a sophomore, so we moved the, the summer between my freshman and sophomore year of high school – and I was really like, that. those are formidable, formidable years. And I did not want to leave. I just thought, man, how in the world can I move to Atlanta, Georgia? I don't want to, I'm just, you know, you're learning how to drive. And I'm like, I can't, I can, I'm can't. i driving as I'm 14 and 15 on these back roads by myself, but I can't drive on the interstate in Atlanta. So I was scared <laughs> to death to go to Atlanta. But at the same time, you know, there's that that push and that pull of, I don't want to leave this little town and my friends. But at the same time, I'm dreaming for, of something more than this.
1: You know, you, you were growing up in the church, um, and I'm sure you were exposed to to plenty of you know sort of Christian music and art influences at the time. But when I hear your singing voice and when I hear the music you've created, I hear a lot more than just uh, church influences in there. I, I'd like to know what was mm-hmm. catching your ear as a kid, and did you kind of have to sneak around to listen to rock radio, or was that something that your family was
2: was cool with? <laughs> No, no, they were definitely cool with. I. We didn't really have Christian music in my home. I didn't know anything about it until I started making it. Uh, it the only mm. kind of church or Christian music that I heard was at church on Sunday morning. It was old school hymns with a small choir with a piano. You know, you got to remember this is back in the 80s, early 80s. And it was, there's, if somebody came and brought an acoustic guitar, that was like wild. That was, that was like, like the youth, <laughs> the youth group can do that on Wednesday night, but we are not having that Sunday morning, you know? <laughs> Scandal. And so, no, I didn't, I didn't grow up around Christian music at all. And in fact, we didn't even realize, I sang Southern gospel songs in church, but we never listened to it outside of church. Uh, so I grew up, I, I was very fortunate that both my parents were huge music fans Um, My dad and my mom both play acoustic guitar and and sang, and so I was always around music and probably tended to lean towards older stuff. You know, I liked their music more than what was around when I was a kid. Even though I listened to pop radio quite a bit, I was really schooled in this old school 70s singer-songwriter stuff and like Southern rock music. And so my favorites were, and even to this day, were Jim Croce, Elton John, James Taylor, uh, you know, these great, great songwriters from the 70s. Then you've got bands like Credence Clearwater Revival, uh, which I guess was a little bit earlier than the 70s, in the late 60s, early 70s. Uh, And then, you know, Leonard Skinner and the Allman Brothers and... A lot of classic country stuff, like Johnny Cash and and uh, Willie Nelson, and you know, even stuff country stuff from the eighties that was kind of metropolitan country. I loved like Ronnie Millsap and Kenny Rogers, and of course, when you grow up in Alabama in the eighties, you have to it's legally you have to listen to the band Alabama, <laughs> and so I had a great influence of all this um, older stuff, this classic stuff, and and I think that truly carried over as well into my songwriting, into, into what I, the kind of music that I make.
1: You know, you mentioned uh, going to Georgia around the time of high school, and and that's where I understand you met a guy named Mark Lee, um, who would end up yes. being one of your bandmates in Third Day. But your first band together was called Nuclear Hoedown. We can spend a little time <laughs> on that band name if you want, or we could totally just gloss over it. And I could ask you this:
2: you, <laughs> Yeah, that was um, a that was a band I, I'd always wanted to be. So growing up, as I told you, I was a, my parents both played guitar and sang around the house. So I always wanted to be in a band, but for, uh, for some reason I was never around guys who played guitar and, and, you know, who were in, in rock bands and garage bands. And so it wasn't until probably once I moved to Atlanta, I started really being around people who, who played music, you know, um, mm. had some friends that play guitar and drums and we started this little garage band, but we didn't really do anything with it. um, when I moved, I had to move again in Marietta. So I went to three high schools in four years. And once I moved to that last school, my junior and senior year, that's where I met Mark. He played guitar and I had some friends that they were in a band together. They heard me sing at a senior assembly and said, Mark was like, hey, man, come sing, uh, you know, come sing in our band. I'm like, cool. I, I'd always just been in marching band. That was the only band I had any experience with. Mm. So I was excited to be part of it. I was like, what's the name? Nuclear Hoedown, Down, he said. And I went, Absolutely, I'm joining your band right away, (laughs) just from the name alone. But we weren't very good. But you know, out of that came the beginnings of what would become, uh, eventually, become Third Day.
1: Now, were you guys actually writing songs? Were were you writing your own stuff by then?
2: Yeah, we were, and it was awful. It was, you know, just (laughs) trying to be, you know, some cool, whatever band, and it, it was not very good at all. But the good thing about it is, we were. Even in high school, developing those writing talents and trying to we you know most bands would garage bands were just doing covers and we would do those of Mm -hmm. course too, Um, but but we really was we were really leaning towards doing our own thing, and um, and that's that's where that's what really got us excited.
0: Well, as you say, you and and Mark reimagined your musical partnership uh, from Nuclear down to Third Day in the early 90s. And, you know, pretty soon you guys were playing shows around Atlanta and and the rest of Georgia. Um, The name Third Day, obviously, is a a reference to Christian theology. Um, And you guys probably could have gone in any number of of musical or or lyrical directions. But obviously, your, your faith was an important component of what you were bringing into your um, artistry, but you said a minute ago that, you know, you didn't really know about a lot of Christian music outside the church until you started doing it. And, and, you know, a lot of, a lot of young bands, um, can look to a more established act as kind of a template to follow in terms of their artistic and, and career, um, direction. Uh, but what you guys were were doing was, was pretty unique. I mean, it didn't sound like what most of the other Christian bands were doing at the time. So I'm kind of curious about who you guys were looking to for, for a roadmap that you might follow or, or how that sort yeah. of sound and direction took shape for you.
2: Yeah. I, that's a great question. I, early on around my, the end of my senior year in high school, um, that's when Mark and I started, uh, you know, thinking about, Making Christian music, and as I said, you know, I didn't know anything about it. I had heard about artists like Petra and Amy Grant, um, but that was I'd heard of them. I'd never heard their music. Well, I'd heard Amy's stuff that was on pop radio, but nothing, none of her Christian stuff. And um, so we just started. It was so so crazy. You know, it was almost one of those things where we, on one hand, even though we knew. There was Christian music going on in a way we thought we were because we weren't really involved in it, didn't know anything about it. We thought we were inventing it at the same time. You know, we (laughs) thought, hey, look, this is a cool ice. It's kind of like the Reese's, you know, who put chocolate in my peanut butter? Who who put (laughs) peanut butter in my chocolate? If anybody remembers that old school commercial, just dated myself there. (laughs) <laughs> but but it was like we I was like hey we have faith and we we love music so let's put that faith and music together and make this cool thing called Christian music. And then the, as we as we went along we were, and you started buying like CCM magazine and going to turtles or whatever, you know, the the different music shops were now you, you go in the Christian <laughs> yeah, now I dated myself. Turtles. And you see you go to the Christian music section and you go, "Oh, there's like a ton of stuff here and this stuff's actually pretty decent." And right. And so, um, there were things like, I remember my wife, we were dating at the time and she had brought me two different tapes that, uh, somebody had given her to give to me. And she said, Hey, my friend says that maybe you'll like these. And one was a band called the choir, which was from California. And I just, uh, absolutely loved that record because it wasn't necessarily a Christian album but they were Christians making great alternative music. So I was like, man, this is really cool. I dig this. And it had some Christian, you know, influences on it. Uh, and then she also gave me Michael W. Smith's go West young man, which Michael had a a big pop song on the radio. So I'd heard that and I went, Oh, cool. Yeah. I've heard this guy's song on the radio and I didn't know he was a Christian. And so those were two of the earliest things that I'd heard. And then Mark and I had bought a CCM magazine, which was the big magazine for Christian music at the time. And, um, we, were look, we had heard a band, about a band called White Heart, and I read about them, and I read about their music, and I went, oh, that sounds cool, so let's go to whatever, Turtles, and find uh, White Heart tape, and so we went, and we looked, and we couldn't find one, and we found, found one called White Cross, and I went, well, that's close enough, White Heart, White Cross, <laughs> that sounds like a Christian band, let's get that. And they were like this very 80s, early 90s, you know, almost as like a hard rock slash metal band. And I remember putting that tape in like we, we were so excited. We bought this thing. We got in his his car and we put the tape in and it started and just like with this guitar solo. I was like, oh, my goodness. Like It was like, oh, <laughs> the veil was lifted and, and the sun shined down. It was like, this is what we want to do. Now, our music didn't turn out anywhere, nothing like theirs. But it was cool to finally hear something that was heavier, and you know, but with a very Christian message. Hmm. And then as time went on, we we'd learn about all these great artists like Stephen Curtis Chapman and Rich Mullins. By far, was our favorite. Rich is still to this day my favorite songwriter of all time. Um, just an amazing writer. And we would go see him in concert and just his, sing him in concert. And it was a very acoustic kind of singer songwriter thing which is as i said earlier i grew up with that kind of stuff but now hearing a singer songwriter thing with a christian message was like i mean the the it was just my world had changed and i was like that's what i want to do hmm wow
0: Well, you guys really started working it as an independent band, uh, eventually put together a couple self-released albums in the early 90s, Long Time Forgotten, and then Contagious, which earns you your first label attention from Grey Dot. And that's where we see the momentum start to build on itself. And it's my understanding that Contagious was reimagined as a self-titled album that sold about 10 times what you did on your first project (laughs) and then that was enough to grab the attention of reunion records which bought out your contract you know and released a a reworked version of the album again which sold hundreds of thousands of copies at that point on the strength of songs like consuming fire and nothing at all which blazed up the christian charts even gave you guys a top 40 entry on on billboard's mainstream rock chart Bit about the impact that all of that had on you as a creator in terms of going from the freedom of just complete independent music making with no rules to kind of transitioning into a more structured world of, you know, contracts and marketing people and suddenly a lot more uh, voices from the industry
2: kind of offering direction and input. Signing a deal was always in the back of our brains but we would see all these bands and talk to these bands as we go out and do shows. And that was like their life. That's what, that was the goal to get signed. And we just, we just honestly, that wasn't our goal because we were too busy going and doing shows and making music and rehearsing. We were too busy to think about getting a deal. And it, we didn't, we didn't send out demos to labels. We didn't, you know, work hard to find where the connections were. We are, bread and butter and our goal was to get out in front of as many of many people as we could now we we knew ultimately Mm -hmm. that would lead to signing a deal but we didn't want to put the cart before the horse and I think so many people even to this day they think man if I get signed then that's going to be the way to do it and it's just as much as things have changed in the music industry and I know I don't want to sound like an old man but it just feels like in in some regards that some things never change in the sense that the best way to get in front of all those people is to just go do it yourself. And then, then you'll have partners that come along and, and, you know, help throw into that and make that happen. But for us, it was just like going out, booking shows, trying to have the best live show we could trying trying to have the best songs that we could winning fans and then bringing those fans to the next show and, and growing it from there. And that's what we did. And so by yeah. the time when we signed our independent deal, it was kind of out of, we didn't re- even really need to. We just, we didn't even really want to. We were kind of pushed that way by a manager at the time. And um, we thought, well, okay, well, we, cause we'd already made our record uh, there. We didn't need any money from a label to, to put behind it. Our, the only reason we signed with the independent deal was cause we, cause they could get our record out nationwide, hmm. which turned out they didn't anyway, <laughs> any more than we could ourselves. <laughs> But long story short reunion record come along and we love reunion because reunion had all these acts that we loved, like Michael W Smith and Rich Mullins and Wes King, who was also from Georgia, a great singer songwriter. So when they came calling and we'd had some other labels that came to us before, but we just weren't, it never made sense to us to sign uh, and just give our music away. You know, when they came, we were like, okay, this is a partner that we appreciate what they do. And so, um, they just kind of redid our record and repackaged it and we remixed it and we put a couple of new songs out there and put it out there and it was a little bit of both you know we thought we're going to take over the world and be the next big band but at the same time going okay i'm when this is done i'm going to go back to college and get a degree and get a real job you know (laughs) and so um it just thankfully we never had to do that at least to this point anyway
1: that that is kind of like the the feeling of like stepping out on of, on your own as a young artist. It's like we're going to take over the world and it's going to end tomorrow. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> both those things kind of living at the same time. Both. You know, uh, going back and and you know listening to some of these songs and and watching some of the early videos, there was a real angst that was kind of conveyed in your early stuff. And I I think uh, with a lot of faith oriented music of that era, um, I, I, the all all I could think of was that the music felt air conditioned. And your music felt like a sweaty rehearsal hall. <laughs> I, I felt, you know, more of that, oh, well. just like you know, rock approach. Something that listeners at the time might not have been likely to associate with Christian music, but was maybe more likely to found in bands like Live or Stone Temple Pilots. Did yeah. you feel a connection with the kind of music those bands were creating? And were there any Christian traditionalists that offered resistance to what you guys were doing?
2: First of all, Paul, thank you for that. My new favorite quote. Uh, about, you know, music was air conditioning, but we felt like a sweaty concert hall or whatever you said. I'm going to go back and listen and I'm going to quote you word for word <laughs> for that. Thank you. Uh, and then you mentioned bands like Live and Stone Temple Pilots. Those are the bands that we were listening to in the van and trailer as we're driving overnight, you know, to the next gig. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there was a bit of that, even though, you know, someone who's listening to this podcast going, well, how, you know, it's a Christian band, how much angst can they have? It wasn't so much angst in the sense of, we felt something in our hearts or that we had a chip on our shoulder. It was more of like, that's the kind of music that's around There's some aggressiveness to it. Um, mm. and that's, you know, what you're listening to at the time is, is influencing what you're making and there's a whole big circle of that. But yeah, those are great. A lot of that stuff. And, and thank goodness in Atlanta, we had an amazing producer, uh, who's moved back since now to LA, but Brendan O'Brien who did so much great, Music in the '90s, um, whether it was the you know the Black Crows or Stone Temple Pilots, Pearl Jam, uh, man, you just go on and on. We we did most of our Third Day records at a place called Southern Tracks, which was in Atlanta. And you walk in, it was basically where Brendan did all his records, yeah. and uh, it was such a you know all that stuff, even up to the the Bruce Springsteen stuff. I mean, a lot of a lot of what he worked on was stuff we were listening to in the van and trailer days. And fortunately, you know, years later, we got to, to work with him on a couple of different records. But as far as resistance, uh, you know, I we, we came along in a really interesting time. And I was the, it's interesting that I'm having this conversation with you guys now because I sat down about two days ago with a film crew that's doing a documentary about CCM music. And so I got to kind of rethink some of these things about the past of third day and where we came from and, and, you know, the music that influenced us and stuff. But I really, we came along at a time where the church itself was so open, um, to the change of having modern music in the church service. As I said earlier on, when I grew up, uh, was growing up, it was just church lady, piano and a choir and if you went to a real huge church, you know, in a big city, there was like an orchestra or something. But around that time in the 90s, uh, I'd say the mid to late, late 90s, there the church was slowly allowing that band that played on Wednesday night in the youth group, you know, to go, hey, why don't you guys play a song Sunday morning? And then that slowly mm-hmm. turned into to what we have now, which is modern worship with, it's, it's a full on rock band on stage in a lot of churches. And so we were fortunate to be along, you know, and I, I don't in, in any, reg- any regards feel like we started that because there were a lot of people doing that way many, many years before us. And there were a lot of bigger bands than us at the time. But we were fortunate to be one of those bands that helped bring about that change, or at least was there during that change. And that was part of the success. You know, I think if Third Day came out right now as a new band, I'm not sure we would have the same success because we just happen to be around at, at, at the right time.
0: Well, the success of that self-titled album led to Dove Award nominations, Billboard Music Award for Best Christian Video, major U.S. tour, and then, of course, leading right into the next album, Conspiracy Number no. Five. Just took things further, more Dove Awards, Grammy nomination, and more genre-bending rock songs like "You Make Me Mad." You
2: You know that record is interesting because our first album was kind of like a very garage band kind of record, and and that's who we were really, and that's a little bit more southern influence garage band. Uh, our first album is almost like more like a college rock band, you know, and that's that's a lot of that stuff was was on the radio at the time, and then when our second record came out. We got so much flack. People were thinking that we were trying to sound like Hootie and the Blowfish because Darius has a baritone voice like I do. Our records were really released around the same time. In fact, I think our record might have been out before theirs. I don't know if that's technically true. Get your fact checkers to check that out. But <laughs> but so many people, we were listening to these, so many people kind of... Saying, man, all you guys are just trying to do is be hooting the blowfish. And we were like, no, we're not. And we'll prove to you we're not. And so we went on our second record and we were like, we're not hooting the blowfish. We're going to be Stone Temple Pilots. (laughs) And so, (laughs) and so, you know, and I love that record. It's for a lot of third day fans, like the core fans, that's a lot of people's favorite record of ours because it had a little bit more of that angst that we were talking about earlier on uh, in it. But um you know that's not really even though we like that music that's not really the the players we were it's not the singer i am it's so i think it was a true record and it's 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 a lot of people's favorites but it you know that song you make me mad we were also we had a little bit of mainstream success with the first record even when we weren't trying to Uh, and so we thought man if we actually try maybe we'll get even more success and we and it doesn't you know you guys know it doesn't work like that (laughs) so I think the song you made mad was was a song about um, it's basically about songwriters and about musicians and how uh, it can be uh, as a person of faith I want you to tell me something and when you're kind of telling me these things in circles and I'm not getting any truth that's kind of what that song was about but I try to do it in a way where it could be a mainstream song and yet if you were a person of faith you could understand where I was coming from. And uh, I think I was I, even as I'm saying out loud, it's it's too much. It's too it's not an easy three minute, you know, pop song or rock song. <laughs> and so I, I tried too much on that song. But it was fun and we made a cool video from it. A lot of people love that song, love that record conspiracy number five. But I think in it, in doing that whole record, even though I love it, it wasn't who we were to heart. And when we made the Ta- Time album, and I don't know if I'm jumping ahead of you guys, but that was a really true return to who we are as Third Day and probably my favorite, if not one of my top two favorite albums that we ever made.
0: You know, when I look at the writing credits for the songs in the Third Day catalog, I often see you credited as... Uh, writing nearly all the lyrics while your bandmates are credited for musical contributions. Would love to hear a bit more about how the actual nuts and bolts process played out for you guys in terms of how you developed ideas and how you um, collaborated to bring those full songs to fruition.
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, a lot of what we would do is I, I wrote the majority of the songs Uh, Mark Lee had written quite a few songs as well who started the band with me uh, in high school we were talking about earlier Uh, and a couple of the other guys would write stuff uh, occasionally but what we would do is just sit down in a circle with acoustic guitars and go here's ideas Uh, you know what do you guys think about it and most of the time whoever came up with um, with the initial idea kind of got the credit as the the main songwriter, but everybody, we, we included everybody in the band because we talked through those songs and we sat down and worked through them. And you know, David, maybe the drummer would throw in a good idea, not necessarily lyrically per se, but just musically anywhere you know, we could go. And so because we were a true band, we wanted everybody to get credit. And so we had set it up way, way, and I think we that was a credit to us as a band and as, as these young kids starting a band, we knew early on everybody needed to feel like they're part of it. And so, uh, we had just split up things uh, from a publishing and a songwriting writing standpoint. There, everybody's going to get at least a, a piece of the pie. But the person who kind of came up with the idea got, you know, half or or at least the more of a majority of of the song. And and I thought I think it's really part of what kept us a band for twenty something years. You know, being able to have that fairness and everybody kind of being able to speak into it. Instead of one or two guys kind of taking over and going, this is what it is. And so uh, we would sit down in a circle with acoustic guitars and just share ideas and best idea would win. And sometimes I would bring a song and there was literally was no change. They would just put, you know, drum, bass and guitar parts to it. And then sometimes those songs ended up being so much better, you know, with their input than they would have been without and so, um, yeah, it's a, it's a fun, it can be a difficult, as you guys know, it can be a difficult process. Kind of sometimes when you find that compromise, it's not for the better, and then sometimes it is for the better, and so it all balances out in the end, I think. Well, you, you know, you mentioned the,
1: the Time album. Uh, and that was an album that had more of a more of a southern rock flavor and like you said more, more of your roots were coming through it's funny that that may have felt like a departure to some fans but to you guys it was like you're just letting your true selves shine through um mm-hmm. but with every sonic turn the band made each project was anchored you know with with radio songs of course but also there were songs that became really popular in church settings like your love, o lord. Your love oh lord
2: reaches to the heaven. Stretches to the sky. Your righteousness is like the Mountain Mountain. Yes. Your justice flows like the ocean stand.
1: Since you're somebody who's created both types of songs, you know, for our listeners who might not be familiar with uh, the difference between, say, a Christian radio song and a church worship song. First of all, is there a difference? Do you think there should be a difference? And can you break down just what that difference is?
2: Mm, man, that's a great question. I, I, Paul, I think I'm still trying to figure that one out. I think there is a difference. Um, I think there there's a difference, and yet there are times when certain songs kind of, for lack of a better term, crossover, that, uh, you know, a a CCM hit song can be, uh, you know, a church song. And when you reach that place where you can write a song that's for the radio and for the church, I mean, that's the, that's the, you know, a great place to be. Uh, And it doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's, it's a song that, you know, will, especially within our market, within the Christian market that can last, um, you know, a decade really. Mm. And so, yeah, I think there are differences. I think there's a difference in somebody being in their car, driving to work or driving their kids to soccer practice or whatever, and listening to a song and singing along and then being in church on Sunday morning and having that congregational feel of everyone singing along, uh, you know, to the lyrics. Now, I say that out loud, but as I say that, I'm also thinking about everybody loves. You know, whether you're by yourself in the car singing "Take It Easy" with the Eagles, or mm-hmm. if you're, you know, at a concert with thousands of fans, everybody sing along. So, you know, church is different than a concert sometimes, and it, and it needs to mm-hmm. be. But yeah. uh, but there are those times, as like I said, when it kind of when it crosses over. Uh, and and it's kind of in both worlds, and that's that's a beautiful place.
0: Well, you know, you guys put out so much material that there's a point we find this happening often in these interviews where there's just sort of this uh, embarrassing moment where we would just sort of hit the gas and plow through uh, an insane number of accolades. And in the early <laughs> 2000s, um, you guys were just racking up success after success. We've got your, your worship album offerings, a live DVD, more Dove Awards. Um, the album come together. Uh, by this point, you guys are you know you're not just getting nominated for Grammys, you're you're winning Grammys. You're you're basically certified rock stars at this point. And I know that that people who go into faith based music kind of you know aren't necessarily comfortable with that idea of uh, being a rock star. And, and, and I understand that, but there's, you know, there's no getting around the fact that you were becoming a, a celebrity. You were becoming someone who was known. Um, how did that kind of affect you personally? And I, I'm curious if the pressure that kind of came along with that kind of success, um, did that have any impact on you as you approached the creative process and, and approach the songwriting process?
2: Yeah, I, I think it definitely had um, an effect on us. I think there was a lot more pressure. I remember our th- second or third record. I forget which one. I think it was our second, maybe, that conspiracy record. It might have been the time record, that th- which was our third. Um, I remember somebody at the label saying, okay, you guys have this new record that you're making. It's the most important record that you'll ever make. And I went, okay, cool. Jeez. And then the next one we made, they were like, you know, this is the most important record that you'll ever make. And I went, okay, yeah, you said the last one. And then the next record and on and on. And you know, early on, I remember going, like I specifically remember thinking about Elton John and asking the question, at what point does Elton John go, man, I'm just gonna make my music. I'm not gonna worry about the number one hits. I'm not gonna worry about selling a million records. I just now. I don't know if you ever get to that point because you always want to be successful and you want the record to do well. But at what point do you not feel that pressure that it's the most important album that you ever made? And I don't know the answer even now. Um, I probably could come up with an answer for you if I sat down and thought it through. Um, but I, it's probably just different for everybody, for every artist. But I just realized it's both. Every record is the most important record that you make. But at the same time, you also have to, as an artist, just make what you make and not worry about those things. Those accolades are beautiful. I'm sitting here right now and I'm not saying this to brag, but I'm in the room. I'm looking at my four Dove Award or my sorry, four Grammys. I'm looking at twenty something dove awards. And it's beautiful. It's cool. But man, those and not to sound like Mr. Spiritual Man, I, I would I I don't want to give those things away. I love them and I'm very happy for them. But they end up just being on a shelf and collecting dust. So, the important thing really, even though those accolades are cool, and I want more of them. Don't get me wrong, gentlemen. I'm going to do my best to win more <laughs> awards and be successful. But right. you, once you come to a realization that there's a lot more stuff that's a lot more important than that, then there's a freedom in it, you know, and there's a freedom to kind of make the music that you want to make. And it's like Tom Petty said, uh, I forget what interview it was, but he said, Man, all I do is go and make the music that I like. And if I like it, I think somebody else is going to like it, too. And that's that's kind of the mm-hmm. approach I, I have now.
1: You know, as part of, like Scott said, sort of hitting the gas and, and flying through these projects in the early 2000s, I mean, there's uh, offerings, too. Then there's The Wire. Mm-hmm. There's more Grammys. Featured on 60 Minutes, uh, I mean, it, it, it's a whirlwind. Um, then you've mm-hmm. got wherever you are. And and it's I, I started looking at the song specifically at this point, and I looked at the song, Cry Out to Jesus, That's Mm -hmm. a song, you know, first of all, that album not only dominated the Christian charts, but like many other albums of yours, it also made a strong showing uh, on the mainstream radar. You know, you're talking about top 10 on the Billboard Hot 200. When I look at songs like Cry Out to Jesus, though, like that does not look like a moment where you're trying to tailor your content to angle for mainstream success, um, which is why I think a, a, a lot of bands would have done. You sort of tighten up and you go, okay. Now, oh dude, we're on the hot 200 now. We, we got to start you know really <laughs> pointing this thing toward a mainstream AC angle or rock or whatever. That lyric is a pretty straight ahead Christian faith message. Ever pressure either inwardly or from the outside to go write some songs that didn't present your faith so explicitly, to sort of make it easier for a mainstream crowd to accept, or was everyone in the circle always determined to kind of stay the course with clearly Christian
2: songs? You know, it's it's interesting because I think in the past and even maybe now today, I would I just remember specifically early on in our career, friends would ask, you know, do you have the record label? Is the record label asking you to water down your message so you can sell more records? Well, no, it's actually the opposite. They want more mm. Jesus per minutes, we called it. You know, the label <laughs> wants you to get the most, the Christian label anyway, wants you to get the most Jesus in there that you can because they that they know that's the market you're selling to. And I'm not mm. saying that's good, bad, or otherwise, that's just the way it is. And mm. I'm not criticizing it. I'm not saying it's great. I'm not, it, nothing. It's just the way it is. And so we would go through times where – we would actually fight the not fight the label, but have discussions with the label, going, "Listen, we we love doing Christian music, but we also feel called to write some music for people outside of the church." And so, anything that was you know outside of that norm, they wouldn't necessarily fight on, but they wouldn't, they definitely wouldn't push it. And so, we would yeah. go through these seasons. We we would know we we'd go in making a record. We go, "This is going to be a very very." let's say, worship record. And so specifically, of course, it's going to be a straightforward message. Then the next record we go, all right, we did that. That was the season. We enjoyed that, did well. But we can't keep doing the same thing. We got to, in fact, when we, after we got our best success ever with the offerings record, which was our fourth album, which was a worship record. So for, here's a record. Here's a, here's a great example. This is a record that was not even originally uh, counted against our contract it was a it was a record we made for our fans our label didn't even want us to make it because they didn't think anybody would buy a worship record that shows how different the days are now (laughs) and so we said hey can we make this record and we'll just we'll pay for most of ourself it was called a recall album which is almost like making a christmas record or a greatest hits record where it doesn't really count against your your original contract and they were kind of like, yeah, okay, yeah, you can make that. Put it out for your fans. Maybe we'll sell 30,000 units, and then we'll move on to the next record. And so we made it, and it became a double platinum record. And then all of a sudden, you know, the label's like, hey, how about doing some more of that? And we were like, we thought you didn't want us to do that. And like, no, no, that's what you do. You should do that. Well, we went and made a rock record after that. And it was it, it was a Christian record, but it was a lot more of a rock record. And we, we did that specifically because we were like, we're not going to get stuck in this worship thing. Even though we're thankful for it. I think it opened up the eyes of a lot of fans in Christian music they thought before that third day was kind of like, oh, that's the band that the youth group listens to and that our kids listen to And I think it really broadened the spectrum of people that listen within Christian music that listen to our music. And so I think that we you know just had these seasons where we would we would make what we wanted to make and then we would also go, all right this is we've done that, done this, done that, what's the next thing? What's a different way how can we shake it up?
0: Well, in 2007, Third Day released two greatest hits records, Chronology Volumes 1 and 2, uh, which featured your best love songs along with some new recordings of songs like My Hope Is in You and Thief. And Thief is a song that's been a big part of the third day story from the early days. What can you tell us about writing that song and the experience of, of revisiting it for that project?
2: Thief was a, a song that I wrote, or, you know, I was I was probably I'm guessing 20, 19 or 20 uh, when I wrote that. And it's a weird structured song when you come in, coming at it from the approach of a songwriter. There's not a chorus in the song. It uh, is a story song, so it's just you're hearing the story the whole time. There's nothing really to sing along to. And yet, for some reason, uh, our fans just gravitated that song and loved that song. And it's one of the probably top two or three most requested songs live. It was never a radio single. um, And yet, somehow, you know, your fans do this amazing thing by giving you a gift of, of making this song come to life. And so it'd been around for a while. And so to be able to redo it for the chronology greatest hits records, I think kind of opened up the ears to to a lot of fans who had never heard, you know, it was, it was too old for them, the the previous version. So it kind of reapproached um, or, or reintroduced that song to, to some new fans that we had and so it kept the song alive even more and if you know if in one day third day gets back together and goes and does a reunion thing that will be probably one of the first songs that we work on. Well yeah, continuing to
1: fly through albums and successes I mean you got 2008's Revelation uh, that was produced by well-known rock producer Howard Benson uh, mixed yeah. by Chris Lord Algie and mastered by Bob Ludwig I mean that's the just a uh, who's Who of of Rock credits, then you got guest appearances By Chris Daughtry, Lacey Mosley From Flyleaf, Robert Randolph uh, mm-hmm. Call My Name from that album was covered By Keith Urban um, mm-hmm. And then I, I want to look at Miracle from 2012, so even moving past Move, but you mentioned uh, That record was produced by Brendan O'Brien mm-hmm. Included the single I Need a Miracle well, somewhere that there was some talk of the song just being called miracle but that you fought for the title to be i need a miracle i'd like for you to talk a little bit about why that was important to you and as a songwriter why does a title matter so much man that's a great question i don't even
2: remember (laughs) (laughs) i don't even remember doing that i i think um i think probably You know, there. I've. This is another one of those. Do we go to the A minor or C? You know, we spent way too much time (laughs) fighting over this thing. That does it really matter? You know, the record was miracle. I think for me, and yes, there. Even though I'm joking with you, Paul, there is, there is somewhat and sometimes these things that you fight for. Sometimes they ended up not mattering, and sometimes they they do matter. I think I wanted people when they saw the title. I need a miracle. And when they heard that or re- or even read it, that we've all been at a place in life where we've we've kind of whispered that prayer, you know? Yeah. And if you haven't been, then you're going to be because that's part of life is being at a place where you're going through a troubled time through a difficult situation where you need some help. And you know you can't do it on your own, and I, I think that's that's why I probably fought for that is I, I want people I wanted people to know right away you hear the, you hear miracle you don't you have no idea that might be a pop song it might be a love song but when you see I need a miracle uh, there there's some I think anyway maybe I'm making it more than it needs to be but it, there need there's strength in that because you're feel yeah. you feel like okay I've been there. Uh, I can connect with that. I don't even have to hear that song. And it's like, yes, I've been there before. And I, I think that's probably why I fought for that.
0: Well, after the worship album, Lead Us Back, you put together uh, an album called Revival in 2017, recorded at the legendary Fame Studios in, in Muscle Shoals, which is hallowed ground for a guy uh, who, you know, was raised on Southern rock and and so much amazing Southern R&B and, and rock music came out of that uh, part of the country, um, which had to just be a, a really cool experience um, and and kind of a, a great capstone uh for what became third day's farewell the following year in in 2018 um you know talk about a band with you guys achieved probably more than you ever could have imagined you would achieve when when you started out but um it was time to to call that project quits but you certainly weren't done you started mac Powell and the family reunion shortly after (laughs) love to just briefly get your thoughts on why it was time to move on from third day and how you hit the reset button with the family reunion project
2: yeah you know it's interesting when you when you have uh success and you have it for a long time and you decide to kind of end that season a lot of people look at it and go man why because we were still doing really well I mean it wasn't uh, even though things had changed so much and we weren't selling the, the the same amount of records, nobody was, you know. And so, when it comes to a live standpoint, we were we were still one of the top touring bands in in the Christian market. Um, I think for us being together for twenty something years, um, being on the road, it was it was a great great experience. Uh, it was. I was, you know, at the time had been in third day longer than I had not been in third day in my life. And I, I think that's that's true mm-hmm. for everybody in the band. There are more years of living in third day than not, than living in not third day, if that makes sense, if I'm mm-hmm. saying it correctly. But yeah. I don't know. There, we all just had, we would gotten to a place where, and I had known for a couple of years, I really had this desire to make some country music. And I knew, and I'd had a chance every once in a while, when, whenever Third Day would have a little break, starting in around, I think in 15, 2015, I would go out and do some country shows. And uh, thankfully, the label would allow me to make these independent country records because they knew, you know, it wasn't tr- trying to shop it anywhere or anything like that. I was just making some music that they, they weren't going to be able to sell or, or put on Christian radio. So they allowed me to do that. Um, but I, that, that desire just really was growing and I knew that, um, I wasn't going to be able to part-time it. You know, I couldn't part-time that desire. I had so much a desire to make that music. I didn't want to part-time. I want to spend more time in it. And so, but at the same time, I had this successful thing with third day and i had this responsibility I had on, i burden, I'd put on myself really of carrying these other people and families. And I remember praying one day after I had been a couple of years ago, and man, I really want to move on from third day, I want to quit so that I can focus on this other thing. But you know, these internal questions like why would you quit because you're still successful, things are still going well. And yet, you know, sometimes dreams sound crazy to, to people uh, when they're not their dreams. And I was praying and going, God, I know, I feel like you want me to do this and move on. But you know, I've got these other people that I'm responsible for. And I remember God just clearly saying, not in an audible voice, but just speaking in my heart, going, Oh, so you're their provider. And I went, Oh, no, I'm not. Mm. <laughs> Touche, Lord. <laughs> and so I think when I got to that point where I realized, hey, I gotta do, I do need to keep be a man and be to my commitments. But at the same time, I don't need to carry this burden that I'm a I'm the one that supports these other guys because I'm not. Um we're all working together in this. And so and then, all, you know, the other guys were Ty had moved on our bass player and Ty was kind of the the brains behind Third Day and and joined the band when he was 16 and he was moving on to go take a marketing job. And he was my best friend for 20 years. And once he was gone, it was kind of like, man, I don't know if I want to keep stay here. And Mark had some some stuff he was working on, some solo stuff. And David was uh, really wanting to be a photographer and approach that career. And so we had gotten to a place where uh, it was just time to move on, you know. Uh, there's no reason uh, when you, everybody's got other, other things they want to do and focus on to try to stay together. And so I think the reason we didn't just take a hiatus and decided to end the band was we knew that we didn't as we didn't want to part time stuff. We wanted to just move on in life and. And so that's why we made the decision. And I think it was a big surprise to some people, but it was actually, you know, took a few years to actually get that place and be able to, as we called it, land the plane. It's not something that you can just do all of a sudden. We want to do it in the right way and, and respect our fans and, and the label and, and all the people that surrounded us and, and helped us to be have the success that we had. And so we tried to do it in the best way. I don't know if we succeeded, but we tried to do it in the best way that we could. Well, we have one final question for
1: you, Mac. Um, you've sold millions of albums, uh, we talked about the, the Grammys and Dove Awards that line your house, you've had dozens of number one songs on Christian Radio, you're in the Georgia Music Hall of Fame, and you're continuing to work on stuff, you've got a project coming out that I can tell everybody's gonna be an exciting one, but if you could take yes. that high school Mac Powell, just starting mm. out in Nuclear Hoedown, sit him <laughs> down, yeah. and give him one songwriting tip, what would that be?
2: Oh man, don't suck. <laughs> no. uh you know i i th- this is what i tell people and so i will tell myself this It's like continue to listen to music mm-hmm. i know that sounds stupid and it's like well duh but it's amazing when you when you can you guys know this and i think so many of your listeners know this as well you can listen to a song to enjoy it and then once you've done that do more than enjoy it. You can enjoy it even more by studying it. When the more you? Mm. I'm a big art fan. I love art. I love going to art museums. And one of the things that I love about it is that you always find something different. So I can always go and I'll see my normals that I love. I love seeing Van Gogh and Monet and Manet. And you go down the list of favorites. But then you'll see something. You go, oh, what's that? And, and you'll go find this artist you never heard of. And it could be a huge, well-known artist, you just don't know him. Or it could be somebody that was a local artist that nobody's ever heard of. And you go study that artist and you start digging into the history of that artist and, and what, you know, their career and why they did things. And you go on and on. I think you can do that with a song. When you can think about, Paul, you and I have talked about this quite a bit. When you talk about somebody like Paul McCartney, I, I, I talked with uh, some friends the other day that I love and respect so much. But they just, they're like, I don't get it. I don't understand why you love Paul McCartney so much. And I just want to slap them if <laughs> <laughs> they don't understand, yeah. you know, how amazing. To me, I told them, I said, and it was a few days after Paul's birthday. I was like, this is the, t- t- in my opinion, the most talented musician, pop rock musician and writer in the history of the world. Paul McCartney is, is to me, number one. And they're not, and they weren't. Be- they're not Beatles fans, and they're like, "What are you talking about, Paul McCartney?" I mean, I could have listed a dozen people better than him. I'm like, "You just, you know what? I'm. This conversation's over. I don't even know for friends anymore." <laughs> <laughs> and I've kinda, I'm kind of, I'm kind of rambling from your question, but it's like when you sit down and you study and you th- and you do more for a song than just listen to it for entertainment, but you kind of study where does it go, what progression are they going to, you know, what are they, what. You know, is there? There's so many great songs that don't follow the the kind of the kind of normal one four five progression, and don't, and and the, and there's nothing wrong with that. Most songs are you know that are written are in that, but you know, and yeah. most a lot of songs don't do a verse chorus verse chorus bridge double chorus in the song. You know, so when songs kind of step out of that normal thing, and there's something different, you can study and learn from that, and so that's a very once again for the 50th time in this conversation that's a long answer to a short question but it's just listen but do more than listen just study yeah. and think about you know where's the song going it's fantastic
0: mac thank you so much for uh spending some time with us today and, and sharing some insights into your songwriting and and your career this has been great
2: oh my pleasure man I, as i said i love talking and i especially love talking about music love it yeah thanks man see you guys
1: thanks for listening We'd love to stay connected with you, so please take a moment to subscribe to Songcraft via Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice.
0: If you like the show, we ask you to consider rating us and leaving us a good review. Word of mouth is important, and letting our potential listeners know what you think of the show helps us tremendously. You can also sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com
1: and support us at patreon.com songcraftshow.
0: And if you'd like, please follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Songcraft Show, all one word. And finally,
1: be sure to check out our friends at the American Songwriter Podcast Network at americansongwriter.com. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support.